This podcast is brought to you by Stormaven. I won't lie, I am an employee at Stormaven, so I want to tell you a little bit about why it's the greatest company on earth. If you're interested in growing your app in any way, organically, paid, both, we have tools to help you do it, whether it's optimizing your creatives, measuring the success and the effect of different efforts that you're taking, or just telling you what people look for in an app. We're here to help you do it. Your job is to essentially figure out what works. And like I said before, the same tactic may not work on different apps. So be very flexible. Don't believe you have all the answers and learn as you test and learn as you go. Welcome to Mobile Growth and Pancakes, a podcast by Stormaven. We break down how and why mobile apps grow. In each episode, we invite a mobile growth expert onto the show to break down a specific mobile growth strategy, how it worked, why it worked, and what they would do differently. I'm your host, Esther Schatz. Okay, welcome to Mobile Growth and Pancakes. I'm joined today by Jeff Perkins, who's CMO of Park Mobile. And uh, Jeff, before you tell me why I suck at marketing, do you want to introduce yourself quickly and give uh, give a little bit of your background? Of course. And I would never say anyone sucks at marketing other than myself at times. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm Jeff Perkins. I am the chief marketing officer and head of product at a company called Park Mobile. Uh, for those who don't know, Park Mobile is the number one app for parking in North America. So we have about 25 million users. We're available in 450 plus cities. You could really use the app to pay almost anywhere you go for parking, either on-street parking or even making a reservation for a sporting event. Uh, and we've um, we've had you know a really great uh, track record of growth over the last couple of years. The company started in 2008. And it just every year we're we're growing really fast, so it's it's been a really really fun ride. Amazing, um, and you're writing a book that I believe is set to come out this year, right? Called How Not to Suck at Marketing. Yes, they're telling me August, uh, but I, I this is my first book, so I'm I'm learning in the publishing world. Sometimes uh, August doesn't mean August, but hopefully it's going to be August because I've written it and it's kind of in someone else's hands at this point for the editing process. Uh, but I. I wrote this book um, over a couple of years, and I finally, you know, really in 2020 during COVID, um, had a little bit of time to really sit down and focus and get it kind of packaged together. Uh, but the idea of it is that you know, marketing as a profession is very hard in a lot of ways. Uh, it's it's always changing and evolving, and you really have to um, be very nimble to kind of keep up. And the expectations on marketers today is, is generally very high uh, versus what many marketers deliver. And so, um, you know, I, I kind of say that this book is really sort of a survival's guide for the modern marketer. And how do you um, how do you do your job, do it well, and and try to avoid getting fired? And and so, I um, yeah, so it'll come out soon. The 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 reason I, I called it. Um, how not to suck at marketing uh, is that I went to a, um, I was speaking at a conference. This was several years back. And it was one of these conferences that has like multiple sessions going on at the same time. And so, you know, the key is to have like a catchy title for your session. And so I thought it'd be fun to have a a session at this marketing conference called how not to suck at marketing. And and so that, that's kind of what I went with. And 
when I got to the room where I was going to present, I got there about 15 minutes early and it was like standing room only already. And that wasn't because anyone knew who I was. Just everybody was like really interested in this title, How Not to Suck at Marketing. Because I, I think for marketers, oftentimes we all kind of are like, oh my gosh, I am totally screwing this up or I'm totally not good enough. And, you know, I think, I think I've learned a lot of lessons the hard way in my career. And I hope that other marketers can learn from my mistakes. Well, not to get too meta, but it sounds like uh, given that you uh, you knew how to market your session on marketing pretty well and take the title that works uh, and turn it into a book, I mean, I think it's uh, probably a good start. Um, you know, when we look specifically at the world of mobile, I mean, even since I assume a lot of, you know, the bulk of your writing took place, there have been a lot of changes. You know, iOS 14.5, we knew it was coming, but you know, there's been a lot of repercussions of that. It feels like every few months we get kind of a tidal wave of something new, something different, something's happening. How do you kind of look at marketing in such a structure as, you know, I can hand, it's not the best practices frozen in time. It's not the best practices for this given moment. How do you take something like that and make sure that you're using principles that last beyond just the limits of the time period you're in? Yeah. So the way I think about that is if a, um, if a mobile operating system release can wreck your business, you don't really have a business. I, I mean, I, I and I mean that if if something like if a Google algorithm can change your business fundamentally, you really have to look at the core fundamentals of your business and uh, realize that your business may be not as strong as you think it is in some ways, and and, and that's a hard thing for a lot of companies to look at, but. You know, at Park Mobile, uh, you know, we are, we're a company that in many ways, uh, location services are very important. And, you know, because it, it, we believe it creates a better user experience. But at the same time, we also recognize not everyone's going to want Park Mobile to know where they are. And so, uh, you know, we kind of always default to doing what's best for the consumer. Um, and if the consumer wants to be anonymous... Uh, we'll let the consumer be anonymous. But we do try to educate the consumer on the value of your location services being on and, and letting us kind of at least know where you are because it then will surface the most relevant parking options for you. So, uh, you know, the way we look at it is we, we you know, it's really up to the consumer though. If the consumer wants to be more anonymous in their journey, um, you know, we will enable that. If they want to have their location services on, we think it creates a little bit of a better experience, we'll enable that. Um, you know, we, we recently actually changed, we added, uh, an option because one of the things we saw with consumers today is that they don't like to be locked into kind of a binary choice in any way. Right. So in the industry, we operate in the parking industry, uh, for many years, your only choice was to pay at a parking meter, right? Nobody wanted to pay at a parking meter. It was a horrible experience and you have to coins. And so then they said, well, now you can pay at a parking meter or you can pay on an app. So we have an option for you at least. And then people said, well, why do I only have to pay on an app or a meter? I want more options. Why do I have to create an account? You know, if I want to pay for parking, can I do a guest checkout? And so uh, really what that shows you is that consumers essentially are never satisfied with whatever the option is uh, out there. And so as um, people that are building products, you have to realize that and say, all right, what, whatever need we're going to meet Today, um, there's going to be another big need six months down the road that we're going to have to, 
to meet. And it's that kind of Maslow's hierarchy of needs architecture that a lot of us talk about. Um, and, and it's hard because consumers are never satisfied. But if you have a philosophy that you have to constantly meet consumers where they are, that will serve you very well. So we had a lot of consumers not wanting to download a full-featured mobile app and set up an account to pay for parking. And if you think about it, that makes a lot of sense because uh, I don't go into the city that often. I don't pay for parking that often. Why do I have to download another app to my phone? Why do I have to give Park Mobile all my information to just pay for parking? And it's like two bucks for the hour I need to park. And, and that's a very, very rational thing to think if you're a consumer. So we created a lightweight web app in addition to our full-featured mobile app. So in our lightweight web app, someone can go in quickly. They don't have to download the Park Mobile app, pay for parking quickly. They can check out as a guest so they don't have to even create an account. And so th that's just a great example of always trying to meet consumers where they are. Because it, you can't wait for consumers always to come to you. You have to kind of go to them and make sure you understand their needs and wants and that you're developing a product roadmap uh, that's going to meet those needs over time. So how do you get, how do you strike the balance between, I mean, I think definitely there's a lot to relate to in media. I'm, I'm thinking about myself now when I travel in the U.S., I definitely don't want an app that I'm going to keep because I'm there for two minutes and, and park on my phone. So it makes total sense. And it sounds like the kind of thing that would work. But I mean, um, I'm trying to think... Uh, example vaguely in my mind, probably on Silicon Valley of when you give your users full say, you know, they're telling you the things that they want to see. Sometimes they're off, you know, sometimes users have this, you, you know, what they want to see isn't actually an experience that makes sense for them. How do you balance having a roadmap that kind of is in line with the product that you know is important and that you have the vision for with meeting your users at what they're, what they're telling you, you know, where's the, where's the cutoff? How much can you kind of plan from a product vision perspective on your end versus being totally user responsive? Yeah. Well, I, I think you have to, you have to look at the user research directionally all the time. You can't, you can't let your users dictate your roadmap um, because users aren't experts in parking apps, like we're experts in parking apps. So um, we, we do know that we have a certain amount of expertise that uh, the user doesn't have. Um, and, and it's that expertise that's really going to drive um, not just what we do today, but what we're doing in three to five years as we see, you know, fundamental shifts in the industry. Like one example, something that a consumer is not asking for now, but we're building towards um, is around the autonomous vehicle. So we know in five years, you're going to have a lot of self-driving cars on the road. So we're spending a lot of time and energy now uh, building technology that will enable those autonomous vehicles to pay for parking, to like lift a gate at a garage, even when there's not a person there to pull a ticket, and to be able to transact for different services when the car is in a garage. So if, if there's an autonomous car, it's still going to have to probably get cleaned, get serviced at some point. Uh, while it's out taking people from point A to point B. And we're spending a lot of cycles now thinking through what that looks like in the future and how Park Mobile can be a part of that. And again, that's not something a consumer is asking for in any way today. Not a burning need. Right? <laughs> yeah, definitely not. You know, as a, as a technology company, you know that if you don't, if you're not working towards that future vision, um, 
somebody else is. And, and if, if you're not a part of it, you will get left behind in many ways. So a lot of what we do is focus on, um, you know, what, what's coming next and how do we keep up with what's coming next. But at the same time, you know, staying very close to our consumers on things that they want to see in the app uh, that we can address now. Uh, you know, so the, the, mobile, um, uh, the, the mobile web app was one example. Um, and we're always looking at things like that uh, that make the consumer experience a little nicer, a little better, a little more seamless. Um, so, so you have to balance, uh, you don't want to go all, all one way or all the other, but I, you know, as a, as a marketer who kind of leads a product function, I do kind of lean very heavily on, uh, listening to the consumers, making sure that, uh, our app today is meeting their needs as best as we can. And then using, uh, a lot of that research and insight to drive, you know, features into our roadmap. You know, a, a consumer is not going to give you the idea that's going to be your next big thing, but they will give you the, the inputs that are going to help you um, make the app a lot better uh, around the margins. And, and, but that's really important. You know, we, we get, you know, in, in a day, we'll have anywhere from 15 to 20,000 to sometimes on a weekend, like on a Saturday, we get 40,000 people downloading our app. And we convert almost 90% of them into a paid transaction, which is really good. Wow. There are some very jealous uh, listeners right now at that stat, I think. A lot of mobile apps are very envious of that, but you also have to look at our app, which is really a, uh, a utility, right? You're, if you have to park, you kind of have to use our app. Um, so we look at that, but then we still look at that 10%. We say, what's going on with this 10%? that are not doing a transaction. Sometimes there's an issue in the user experience getting them signed up. Sometimes there's something confusing in the flow for them. Um, you know, in some cases they just, they realize they get into it and they realize, oh, I really don't want a mobile app. I'm just gonna pay at the meter. So it's, it's looking at that because if we could just convert with 40,000 people in one day downloading the app, you convert 1% of those who previously weren't gonna use the app into a user. Um, over a course of a year, that really adds up to a lot of revenue. And so we're always looking at those things where we could improve the user experience, make it more seamless, um, and, and try to you know, convert you know, that, that small number of people who, who don't convert into a park or trying to get them to take that next step. So that, that's a, a big part of um, what our product team does is you know, just like, what are, the, what are the areas that are just... Um, you know, becoming bottlenecks for people. But then, then the, the other side of that is also the people who pay once and never come back. And how do we get those people back and make sure that they're paying more options? Then you have the people who they were using the app and then we lost them. And what, why did we lose them? So you're always looking at that because, um, you know, if you're only looking at the, the acquisition side of it and just, tat, you know, patting yourself on the back because you acquired 40,000 users in a day, um, you're not. You're realizing there are a lot of leaks in that bucket that you need to patch along the way as well to make sure you're actually retaining those users. So let's talk about marketing's role in that process because you, I think, in a lot of cases, you end up. I mean, it's a. Uh, you guys have the benefit of having, uh, a, you know, somebody who's managing marketing who's also managing this product side and kind of creating that funnel. But in general, I think there's a lot of cases where you fall into, you know, marketing's job is to bring the user in and then product's job is to take the user the rest of the way, um, which is probably a pretty dated way of looking at it, right? How does marketing tie into this process of 
you know, looking at specifically answering consumer needs, answering these consumer desires in a way that is bringing you in those 40,000 users, but also still working on, you know, not, not losing them, not having that churn on retaining them. Yeah. So we spend a lot of time, um, really trying to understand, uh, the, the kind of those, those points where people will, will churn. And, um, we, we just do are constantly doing research with our users. And, you know, one thing we found, which was a really big point when people don't come back to the app was around expired credit cards. So your credit card is expiring, um, and you just don't put in a new credit card. It becomes inconvenient. And so the marketing team started, a a, a uh, email campaign prior to the credit card expiring. And, and, you know, with an audience as big as ours, you know, we have thousands of people every day, their credit cards are expiring in our system. And that's a, that's a big high probability that those users will churn uh, and we may not see them back ever. And so we just started messaging to people, Hey, your credit card's expiring. Your credit cards are back to expire last chance. Make sure you update your credit card. And it was amazing how many people then went in the system and updated their credit card in the app. Just, just by doing that kind of gentle nudge, getting people to, to get their credit card updated. And so we, we are lowering the probability that those people are going to churn and we're going to lose them. And so it's those kind of things, just studying um, all those breakpoints in the app experience where you have a, you have a chance of losing someone and, and making sure you're, you're doing everything you can to eliminate um, that issue. I and mean, the other... The other thing we see is we get people um, that download the app, set up an account, and they either don't add their license plate number because maybe they're not in front of their car, um, or they don't add a payment method. And so if they don't do either of those things, they're never going to do a transaction. And so once we they've set up an account, now we have their information. So then we have different marketing campaigns that really kick in to try to get them to put their credit card in, to try to get them to put their license plate number in. And again, it's all designed around knowing that they can't proceed to convert into a, a real user unless we get that those pieces of information. So getting those gentle nudges in place. So we're saying, hey, you get your account started, you're ready to go. These are the pieces of information we need so you can get parking. So it, it's really those things that, um, that I think really prevent the churn uh, from happening. And then there's just broader education. You know, when people download the app, it's usually at the point of purchase. So there you park, you see Park Mobile is accepted. You say, oh, I'd rather pay on an app than at this clunky meter. Um, and I'm going to download the app, set up an account and pay. Um, but what you probably don't know is that in addition to the location where you're paying, the probability is we're also available in the city next to the city where you're paying. And we're available maybe at the sporting arena or at the college or university down the street. So it, there's a lot of education that we have to do on all the places where you can use Park Mobile. And we use things like geofencing. So as people have the app on their phone, we could alert them, hey, you just, you know, you just went from Washington, D.C. to Philadelphia. We're also accepting Philadelphia. So when you enter the city, uh, you know, oh, cool, I could use Park Mobile here. And it's, it's a very uh, helpful way to be a bit uh, intrusive with your app experience. One thing um, we know is that I can't just do push messages all day to Park Mobile users. They're just gonna, they'll get super annoyed. They'll, they'll hate tweet us. Um, you know, that we have, we have kind of a very specific role in their lives, which is I use Park Mobile to pay for parking. 
So don't send me anything that's not related to parking. So we kind of have a rule with our team where any communication that goes to the user, it really has to help kind of with their mobility journey. So it's not just uh, reminding them how much we like them as our, our customers. It's, hey, this is information that's going to help you find parking, get parked faster, and have a better experience when you're on the go. That's, uh, yeah, I actually just had uh, the most annoying push notification day, so I uh, I relate. I think, you know, I'm curious where within Park Mobile, and, you know, maybe you can talk also about how you wish it was ideally, but sounds like you have a lot of signals, you know, there's, there's analytics in place to tell you this is something that's going to increase likelihood of churn. This is something that's going to, uh, you know, block users from coming. Who owns those analytics? Whose job is it to kind of sit and say, I'm finding, uh, you know, I'm, I'm finding these moments. Let's face somebody has to tackle this. Uh, should it sit within marketing? Should it sit within product? Is it an analytic team, a data science team? Yeah. So we have, uh, we have an analytics team that looks at a lot of those things. But it, the people that I think really focus on finding the insights uh, are the, um, you know, the product managers who own these products, right? So if you are the product manager on the Park Mobile app or the Park Mobile web app, um, that's a core part of your job is figuring out what's, what's working, what's not working. And if something's not working, um, you know, creating a solution to fix it and getting that on the roadmap. And so it's, it's a really collaborative process, actually, between the product team in our analytics group to study what's going on in the app. Um, you know, and so what we look for in our product managers are people who are very um, intellectually curious. And really, I think in an organization, you hope everybody is like that. But you really want that in your product managers. Um, because, uh, you know, a good product manager should always be asking, well, what if this, what if that, um, to try to figure out how do we make the app uh, as good as it can be? How do we, you know, what, you know, figuring out, all right, what is our goal of the app? Our goal is to get people to pay for parking over and, and do that multiple times, you know, and so you drive up the lifetime value of that user. Uh, and anything that, that prevents that is really bad. And so, so the good product managers really have to focus on, you know, how do we get them in the app, signed up, using the app, retained over time, and the expectation is that if that's your job, you are, you are deep in the weeds of the analytics around that and trying to figure out, okay, what, what are the things we need to do to improve? Even if it's a little thing, sometimes it makes a big difference. How do we improve conversions at every step of the way? How do we reduce churn at every step of the way? And, and that's, really, that's really the big focus. That, that's the big focus for us. And, and we have... Um, we're fortunate because we have great tool sets that enable us to look at our web data, that enable us to look at our app data. Um, we use a tool called Braze. Um, it, it kind of sits behind the app, and that's what we use for all of our engagement. And, and those tools really give us a lot of insight into what's happening and, and the levers we can pull to, to drive the behaviors that we want. Have you ever uh, have you ever been just horribly misled by your data? I mean, an example of a time where the analytics seemed to be telling you something, you went in place, you went all in, you tried to answer a solution, and it just completely backfired. I don't know that I've been totally misled by the data, but I have um, I have underestimated often the the time sometimes it takes to to really make a change where you see a quantitative impact. Um, you know the the marketer in me um, and and the the executive in me. You you always want to 
you want to see kind of a, a stimulus and a response, right? And you know, like, hey, we did this and this happened. Um, but sometimes you, when you're working on a product, it, it's it's more of a slow burn, and you do things, and uh, over time, it makes a big impact. But when you do it initially, you're like, oh, well, we only we improved our conversion by you know 0.001 percent, you know you know, week over week, but then you get 52 weeks later and you're like, wow, we are conversions actually up, you know, 10% now. So, you know, the, the thing that I think you have to look at when you're either in marketing or product, um, is the sustained commitment to what you're doing over time. And, and, and there's not a lot of things you can do, um, that, that are just these quick hits where you're going to see these immediate hockey sticks in your results. Um, I, you know, you hope there, there are those things, but for the most part, you know, like if you if you change components of your your sign up process, for example, you may not see that impact for a long time. But eventually, if you did it right and you really studied it and you did the right things and you tested it, um, you will see that impact over over the long term. So so that's kind of the view you have to have is um, everything you're doing is not just a quick hit, but it's it's more of a a very strategic, purposeful. Uh, activity that'll that'll improve your metrics, improve your business over the long term. So I think that's something that's really challenging for a lot of marketers because you're in an you know in an industry where we look at channels like Facebook and channels like UAC and Google that you are accustomed to these really rapid. I mean, this was part of that trauma of iOS 14.5 is I don't get to have my immediate metrics and my immediate you know ROAS and and what's my return and what's my you know, I think it's uh, it's challenging to be able to get the budgets that you need to market for something long term. How do you balance that? You know, how do you know that you're you're actually spending your quarterly or yearly budget in such a way that can lead to this long term growth, which on some level has to rely on on not the numbers right in front of you, but on these projected numbers. Yeah. Uh- I mean, it's always going to be a challenge because, you know, marketing is is part art and part science, right? And, you know, there's the stuff you can measure directly and the stuff you can measure indirectly. Um, I, I think I think the, you know, taking a step back from just what your marketing budget is, um, I think it's important for marketers to um, to really focus on building organizational credibility. I think that's that's a really important aspect of of being a marketing leader that I think oftentimes is overlooked. Um, like when you start at a company, um, you'll you know always you know do your you know I'm going to take thirty, sixty, ninety days, you know look at the landscape, understand what's going on, and then come up with my plan and then go execute. That, that's usually what most marketers do when they enter a company, um, and that's not a that's the right thing to do. But at the same time, uh, you have to go in with your eyes wide open that, you know, executives are going to look at, your CEO is going to look at, your board's going to look at, um, they're going to look at you and say, hey, this is someone I expect to drive immediate results. And so the long-term view of marketing sometimes doesn't align with what your, your CEO wants or your CFO wants or your board wants. And so what what I've always done when I when I start a new job and start start uh, getting ramped up is I look at uh, I try to figure out what I want to do longer term and then I try to figure out what I can do very fast. And so you know a lot of times when I started at a company I'll just go in and say like oh 
our collateral is all terrible. I'm just going to go update the collateral. Uh, I'm going to update our corporate brochures. And you would be amazed just by doing those little things, how people start to look at you and say, wow, in like two weeks, Jeff just updated all of our collateral and it's amazing, right? Um, Oh, wow, Jeff just built 20 landing pages. Uh, Jeff just got this campaign off the ground. And you have to do these things very fast and take kind of a, a velocity approach, like getting a lot of stuff done quickly to show that you, you kind of know what you're doing. Um, you're not screwing around and you're, you're putting runs on the board, essentially. And, and what you find is that in an organization where people see you as being someone who's highly effective uh, at your job, oftentimes they will then give you the benefit of the doubt on the things that take longer. And they'll say, well, Jeff's really good at his job. Um, Jeff's very competent. He's already done a lot of things. He clearly knows what he's doing. Um, so we're going to let him test into the optimal you know, marketing program for, for the company. And we're going to go in knowing that um, you know, he, he's probably going to make some bets that are going to work out, and he's going to make some bets that are not going to work out. And so you, you build the credibility, you set expectations around what it takes to really figure out, you know, the appropriate allocation of spend, and then you go at it and you don't get too precious on any one marketing tactic. You say, you know, I've, I've worked in a lot of companies in a lot of industries. And one thing I found is that um, some companies crushed it with like AdWords, Google, you know, paid search, crushed it. Other companies paid search, you might as well have been throwing the, the money in the fireplace, right? Uh, you know, some companies, social media, crushing it. Other companies, social media, no one cares. And so y- you realize there's no playbook to this stuff. You have to kind of feel your way into what the optimal marketing plan for your company is. Um, and that takes time. And, and the way to buy yourself that time is to show that you you know what you're doing up front and and build that credibility and that'll serve you over the long term with your company. I feel like this is excellent advice, not just in marketing, but maybe in in kind of every aspect of life, which is essentially you're saying you have to find your your quick hits, the things you know to do, the things you know will be helpful, the things that are kind of universal. This is I've come in, I fix, I solve really quick. I get that credibility. I get to the point of okay, he he knows the he knows the quick wins, he's effective. So we trust him to to now tell us, now guide us instead of just kind of react to be able to say, okay, look, I'm doing something in this scale and, and we'll let you do it because we've seen you be effective. We've seen you hit those kind of, you know, if I'm at your quarterly review, I can kind of put a big check mark on things that you've done in that initial stage um, without kind of jeopardizing the that, uh, I guess you said organizational credibility without it being, well, he's still here and I'm still not seeing any results. So why, why did we bring Jeff in in the first place? I think that's, uh, it's really solid, uh, kind of solid advice. Yeah. I mean, the last thing you'd ever want to hear about, you know, a new, a relatively new marketing person that was brought on board is someone who's not in the marketing function, but like someone in finance or the CEO is saying, what's that person doing all day? And that I believe me, I've heard that exact thing said. Like, if, if there's one piece of advice I would give to marketing leaders when they come in, um, don't come in and make your first initiative like ripping out the the the, the marketing automation tool and, and installing a new one. Don't make that your first project because it's going to take 12 months. 
you're not going to show any results. And by the end of it, you'll probably be fired because because it's it's a very consume, time-consuming thing. Like that's something you do after you build that organizational credibility. People are like, oh, this guy knows what he's doing. Uh, and, and then you could take on those longer-term projects. But if you do that, or you know, even like a rebranding, rebranding is really hard. Um, maybe that's not the first thing you do. Like you might walk into a company and hate the brand. Um, don't take that on first. Maybe take that on as your phase two <laughs> of your of your plan. Uh, but get those runs on the board first to show that you you kind of know what you're doing. Yeah, I think you probably also minimize potential animosity in that way. Like I've seen it also when somebody comes in and just wants to tear apart what everybody's you know everybody's been working on for X amount of time before they've kind of validated. I'm doing this for us and for our value and and because I know what I'm doing, not just because I'm trying to copy paste what I've done previously and and kind of pull it in. So I think, uh, yeah, you know, I'm interested also on the, I'd imagine you'd have a similar philosophy on the product side, right? Which is you're coming in and you're not focused necessarily on, you know, let's say you're coming in fresh and, uh, and kind of taking a leadership role on the product side, not ripping everything up to start with. What are some of the, the quicker wins in a product capacity? that, uh, you know, that would be able to establish your credibility in the way that creating a ton of landing pages, redesigning collateral, you know, the kind of those more instant levels that you can take on from marketing. Right. So product is, you know, I think the same rules could apply to product where, you know, uh, you want to go in, you want to study what's working in the app, what's not working in the app. Um, really digging deep into consumer insights around the app, and then then figure out, okay, here's my here's my punch list of stuff that that I think we should be doing, um, and 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 you know, looking at that list, and then saying, okay, these are the things that are going to take a long time. Uh, these are the things that we are going to we can do relatively quickly, and focusing on the quick wins first. You know, like you don't want to go in as the product owner and to say, oh, we have to re-architect the entire thing. Like, just tear it down and rebuild. I mean, that that's, and maybe you do have to do that. But that's a really big project. Whereas you can go in and say, hey, um, if we just add this little, this button on the uh, the sign-up screen, we, we might reduce our, tr- our, our drop-off from conversion, uh, account conversion by like 5% do it, show the results and build that credibility that, Hey, we made this minor UX change and look what happened. And so those are the things that, you know, just kind of doing those things. And to be honest, every product out there has like a million of those things in there, right? Like, you know, so don't get so uh, enamored with the big picture. Like, Hey, we need to, uh, we need to, you know, rip out the foundation and pour a new foundation. Uh, maybe you need to do that over time, but figure out the things you can do now to to build. You know, build your portfolio of of wins. It aligns nicely with what you say about meeting your user. Like, if you look at it from an you as an as a service provider to your user base, not just you know internally within the company, but if you're meeting your users where you are, it's basically it's not how do I redefine the world of parking for for everyone who's coming in. It's how do I create instant satisfaction? You know, something that's that's maybe smaller, a light web app that just gets somebody in and gets them to pay and gets that foot in the door. 
And then they give me enough trust to let me actually start, you know, going deeper and taking my services further and giving them more for my offering when I've hit that kind of immediate fence of, of getting them that happy win and that quicker win. Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Jeff, are you ready for the quick fire round? Yeah, let's do it. All right. If you could give just one tip to uh, an aspiring mobile growth marketer, what would it be? One tip for an aspiring mobile growth marketer would be um, be very flexible in your approach to your work. Um, meaning don't be so rigid that you can't constantly course correct because your job is to essentially figure out what works. And it, like I said before, the same tactic may not work on different apps. So be very flexible. Uh, don't believe you have all the answers and learn as you test and learn as you go. Favorite mobile growth resource? Favorite mobile growth resource is my network of people that I talk to constantly. Um, so, I, you know, you could read everything you want to read online. The best resource you have is your network. So I always recommend to people, find other people in your industry, um, take them to lunch um, in, in a COVID world, have more Zoom calls with them um, because really that's where you're going to get your insights. So if, um, you know, for example, we, we have, uh, you know, I talked before about Braze. So I talk a lot to other companies that use Braze on their mobile apps. And what are you doing? What work, what's working for you? Here's what's working for us and sharing those ideas and best practices. I, I think that your network is your biggest asset, whether you're trying to hire some new people for your team, whether you're trying to learn something new, whether you're trying to select a vendor. Um, so my resource is my network. Ties in very nicely with the next question, which is, uh, let's assume we're, we're post-COVID world. Who's the person in, uh, in your network, in the growth industry, maybe somebody just outside of your network who you'd most want to take for lunch and why? The person I would probably most like to take for lunch um, and I keep talking about Braze in this, but they're, you know, they're a good partner for us. So Sarah Spivey is the CMO of Braze. Um, and the reason I want to take her to lunch, one is she's super cool and um, really fun to talk to and really interesting. But two, I mean, unlike me, she sees what marketers are doing across like a hundred different apps for their clients. So um, the good thing about that is that I could ask her, well, who's doing this well? And she'll point me to that person and who's doing this well. And so um, it, it really, she's kind of a great person to connect with that'll then help me solve my problem through her network. Um, so she, and, and like I said, she's super fun. So I, 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 she would be someone I would want to uh, have lunch with when we're back to uh, in-person uh, type meetings. Okay, most important question is, what is your favorite type of pancake? Favorite type of pancake would be, um, so in Atlanta, there's a place here called Highland Bakery, and they have a pancake that's uh, a sweet potato pancake that sounds like, like I say that it would sound kind of gross, but it is the most amazing thing you've ever eaten. So the the sweet potato pancakes from Highland Bakery, um, that's that's my favorite pancake. Okay, I believe you only because we also have a place in Tel Aviv called Orna and Ella that makes sweet potato pancakes. And it is like <laughs> they're known kind of like everywhere for these sweet potato pancakes. So I uh, I relate. I, I accept your answer. I don't like sweet potatoes, but I love these sweet potato pancakes. Ah, which is even, stronger, uh, even stronger push. 
Jeff, where can people find you if they want to hear more? I mean, see updates on when your book will be out. Uh, what's what's the best place to keep track of you? Yeah, so people can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, just look at Jeff Perkins Park Mobile on LinkedIn. Uh, my Twitter is Jeff Perkins, the number eight. So at Jeff Perkins eight. And everyone should check out uh, the website, hownottosuckatmarketing.com. Uh, and, and that's the website where you can get uh, information about the book release. I also have on there a really good list of uh, recommended marketing resources. And I have a market, marketing acronym glossary because uh, marketers love our acronyms. And uh, we're, we're one of the few functions, I think, few professions where a lot of marketers could actually talk in complete sentences using only acronyms. So it's important you know all the acronyms and I have a whole list of them on my website. That's genius. I have to tell you, I never realized how many acronyms we use that are not relevant anywhere outside of marketing until we hire new people into the team. And you just, you see the look on their face when you're <laughs> saying them, they're just, what are you talking about? So kudos. I'll, uh, I'll take a look and see what I'm missing there. Jeff, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us and for sharing all these tips. This was amazing. Thanks, Esther. It was great to be with you. And that was Mobile Growth and Pancakes. Find out more about StoreMaven and how we can improve App Store performance, visit StoreMaven.com. And then make sure to search for Mobile Growth and Pancakes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at StoreMaven, thanks for listening.